welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. My name's Micah. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. Um, nice to see you. If I don't know you, I'm um, glad you're here. In 2004, I started seminary at Bethel, and I'm a back row guy when I, uh, when I go to class. I'm not a front row guy, um, so I sat in the back row, and I found that there was another um, back row fella whose name was Tim, and Tim and I traveled through seminary together, and uh, t- I found that in ministry, there are a few moments along the way when you find somebody that uh, sort of like soulmates, you know, brothers from another mother, uh, sort of an idea. And Tim and I, uh, I just have such a great respect and love for Tim, and we've talked about for, for since 2004, well, maybe not then, but for a while, man, you got to get over to Awaken. I'd love to have you come and, and uh, teach at Awaken. And so, so very excited to introduce you to my friend Tim Johnson. If you would please welcome him to Awaken. Tim Johnson. <laughs> Well, well, thanks for, uh, for that introduction, Micah. It's, it is good to be here, and the feeling is, is very mutual. Um, I have to confess to you, though, it's a little bit intimidating for me to be here speaking to you this morning. Now, not, not for the reasons that you would normally think it's intimidating for someone to stand up in front of a group of people that they've never met before and do public speaking. No, it is because... I was listening to a sermon that Mike had preached recently, and he was talking about how this community responds to the gospel. And one of the things that he said, and he said it multiple times, is that you run marathons. <laughs> and I, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only running if there's something life-threatening chasing me, you know. And, and frankly, if after less than a mile it's still chasing me, I'd be like, well, well done. I'm going to just... Uh, <laughs> Stop and die. Oh, I'm dead. Um, so, no, it is very good to be here with you this morning, and especially on Palm Sunday, because um, preaching today on this passage about Palm Sunday is going to be very cathartic for me. If you're anything like me, uh, when you grew up, you did what these kids did today. You grabbed palm branches and you waved them, and I distinctly remember the moment where I asked my Sunday school teacher, like, Wait, so these people, they were really excited about Jesus, right? And the teacher's like, yeah, yeah, they were really excited about Jesus. But, but then, like, a few days later, they wanted to kill him? And the teacher's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to understand, like, what you could do in three days that would make somebody go from being really excited about you to wanting to kill you. So, and the explanations I got were like, well, you know, he, he preached, preached some and he healed some people. I'm like, geez, well, preaching now, I'm going to not heal anybody so that you don't kill me later. But um, anyway, I'm already getting ahead of myself here. Uh, I want to read uh, this passage from John 12 today. It's actually quite a long passage. Um, But we're going to be focusing just on the beginning part uh, about waving of the palms and and Jesus riding into Jerusalem. So if you would, please stand with me if you're able to, and we'll read this passage from John 12. Picking up in verse 12, it says this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. 
as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew... Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am... My servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Please pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you would open our eyes to understand your reasons for coming to this hour and why you did what you did, Lord. Open our minds to understand your scriptures so that we can see you rightly. Lord, display your gospel, your good news of your kingdom in front of us all, Lord, and may we take it to heart as we consider this passage. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so I'm wondering, can any of you, shout it out if you know, tell me what this is. What is it? Oh, I'm sorry. The answer I was going for was Lanacera Japonica. Uh, no, it is, it is honeysuckle. Yes, yes, it is honeysuckle. You're right. Sorry, that's a really jerky thing to do. Uh, this is how I win crowds to me when I'm speaking in front of them. Um, be snarky. So anyway, it is, it's Japanese honeysuckle. Now, I'm not a botanist, but I do sometimes play one on Sunday mornings, and so I'm going to do that right now. Um, a few years ago, my wife and I were out visiting some friends in kind of the countryside of Maine. Our friends Atley and Harriet own a little hobby farm outside a town called Bodenham. And they had bought this property with a pretty big acreage, and they were working hard on getting it into shape because some things had gotten overgrown on the property. Now, Harriet, she's brilliant. She has a PhD in soil science from the U of M, and so she was walking us around the property uh, showing us all these different plants and naming them, pointing to them as we go through. And sometimes even occasionally, she'd point and go, oh, this is this kind of mushroom. And then she'd grab it and put it in her pocket and say, we're going to eat those later tonight. I'm like, I would never attempt that, okay? Instantly poison myself. So I'm starting to get into the game, right? Like, oh, okay, this is fun. And so I see this on their property. I, I go, well, that's, that's really beautiful. What is that? And she looks at me. She's like, she goes over grabs it, yanks it out of the ground, and brings it and throws it into the burning pile. And then looks at me and says, well, that's Japanese honeysuckle, as if that was a completely self-explanatory statement. 
right? Um, now, for those of you who, like me, don't really know anything about this plant, let me give you some information. It was introduced into America in the early 1800s, mostly because it provided uh, extensive, excellent ground cover. Um, as you can see, it's, it's beautiful to look at. The flowers are, are different kinds, and it smells incredible, okay? Birds love to eat the berries that grow from it a little bit later in the season, now let me tell you some other things that are true about Japanese honeysuckle. Those berries are poisonous for human beings. This plant grows with a ferocity and strength that crowds out other native plants that belong in the ecosystem. Uh, and one of the ways that it does this is really interesting. It does something called girdling. Some of you may know what this is, but basically its vines can grow around the roots of other plants and choke them so that they can't get nutrients, okay? In short, it's a pernicious problem just about everywhere that it's taken root in this country because Japanese honeysuckle is what we would call an invasive species. Why am I telling you this? Right? As you may guess, there's more going on here. I'd like to suggest to you that in the passage we've just read, there is a vibrant and thriving invasive species that we can't see right on the surface of the text. It's growing just below the ground. An idea that God never intended for his people that has taken root, root in the mind of the Israelites. And as any of us who've watched Inception know, an idea is like a virus, like an invasive species, resilient, highly contagious, and even the smallest seed of an idea can grow. It can grow to define or destroy you. Again, what, what I'd like to suggest to you is that there's an idea, a story that has taken root in the mind of Jesus' contemporaries, and that story has everything to do with why this group of people that were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a few days later shouted, crucify him, right? So as we look at this story, I'd like us to consider a couple of questions. First, how do we reckon, like, what are the things that we see in this story that we can go, oh, that's a bad story? How do we recognize some of the signs of a bad story that's growing there? And then the second question is, when we see a bad story, when we notice one in our own lives, perhaps, how do we go about the difficult and messy process of uprooting that so that we don't live our lives by it? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're familiar with this passage. And you say, Tim, I, I don't see a, a bad story there. I just see a weird story, right? Like, we don't do this anymore. We don't cut down tree branches and wave them at people that we're excited about, right? It's not a thing. I mean, other than, like, Christian traditions once per year, and frankly, even then, probably very few of us understand why we're doing that, right? It's not a thing that we do. But what I'd like to suggest is that there's, there's more going on in that action that has to do with Psalm 118. And let me see if I can get you there by way of analogy. Imagine, in the hottest part of the summer, you wake up in the morning, you hear singing outside your window. You slowly pull up the shades, and you see a guy across the street dressed in red, white, and blue, waving an American flag and singing the words, I'm proud to be an American, at the top of his lungs. 
Now that's a story too, isn't it? That's a story about freedom. That's a story about how that freedom was got. It's a story maybe about how that freedom should be maintained. Maybe even about what we would do to people who would want to take that away from us. It's a story. It's not just a song and waving a flag. There's something underneath the surface there that's a very significant action. And again, I like to say that in Psalm 118, which is what these people are quoting at Jesus, there's also something more going on there. Now, John just gives us one little verse of Psalm 118, but I want to pull back the curtain and read a little bit more of Psalm 118. We won't be reading the whole thing. I just want to read some parts of it to you. It'll be on the screen behind me. Listen to this. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look on my enemies in triumph. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter. I give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And here it is. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession. Now again, if you're anything like me, and I know that I am, you were never given this part of the story when you were a kid waving those palm branches, right? That sounds kind of Go and kill everybody else, doesn't it? Right, like, I, I was raised to basically read this as, like, hey, Jesus, we're excited about you. You're the guy, right? And it is that, but it's more than that, right? Which guy is Jesus in this story? You're the guy who will get on a war horse. You're the guy who's going to pick up a sword. You are the guy who is going to lead a violent military campaign. You are the guy that will finally help us slaughter those wicked, evil, pagan Romans that we detest once and for all. You're the one who will deliver the us from the them. See that? Now, I mean, not for nothing, some of the sentiment was very well earned. I mean, the Old Testament is a story of Israel's oppression and deliverance, even stuff in the intertestamental period about oppression from, from the Greeks and Antiochus Epiphanes and everything, and, and Judas Maccabeus delivering them from that. Like, this sentiment of God will deliver us by violent military action was well earned. But the question is, why is this an invasive species? What does that look like in this account? I would say it's invasive because it is crowding out other things that are native to the Old Testament environment as well. Things like God's love for all people. Like the fact that God always envisaged a worldwide family for Abraham. Not just Jews. Not just Jews. That God would call all people to himself. How about things like the fact that sin and futility are just as likely to exist 
in the us as they do in the them. But the biggest thing that I see here is that it looks at the them and says, unredeemable. We have to consign them to the scrap heap of history. Make no mistake, that's behind what they're saying at this time. That's what they wanted from Jesus. That is the kind of deliverer that they wanted and expected and didn't get. Right? So how is Jesus going to respond to this? Because he does. Right? He, he definitely does respond. And he responds in this way that's sort of like this uh, act of prophetic symbolism. He does a thing to say a thing. Now, generally, like in American culture, we aren't like super in on people doing symbolic things. But guess what? It just happened yesterday in Washington, D.C. as a brave young woman stood on a stage in silence and just let that silence hang for people to feel it. She was doing a thing to say a thing. And I would like to suggest to you that that's what Jesus is doing here as well, right? This is kind of a, a game of like high stakes nationalistic poker, okay? Where they're like, we are all in with our palm branches. And Jesus says, I see your palm branches and I will raise you one donkey. <laughs> I think the rules were different back then. Uh, and what's amazing to me, again, the way that this story is normally talked about is that kind of the choice of a donkey was almost accidental, right? Like Jesus pulled up his Uber app and the war horse had to come from Samaria, so he settled on a donkey, right? Now, that's not the case. There actually is a lot more going on here. And, uh, and to understand it, we're going to have to take a peek at Zechariah 9. But, uh, man, I love this part of the story because all four Gospels preserve this. Jesus never explains his actions. Not one of the accounts of this does Jesus explain what he's doing. He just gets on a donkey and starts riding as if people would be like, oh, okay. Right? And I think part of the reason for that is Jesus knew that they would know where this comes from. It's Zechariah 9. They have held up their wrong-headed, nationalistic, war-mongering version of God's plan and Jesus is about to raise them something different. Let's take a look at it. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey. By the way, if he's lowly riding on a donkey, does that make a donkey a low rider? <laughs> hey, we did better this service. The first service was not interested in puns. <laughs> Let me just, they, they were not having what I was laying down. Okay, uh, sorry, back into here. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Then it says this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim what? Peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus raises them, a different vision. So let's make some observations. The king that God sends is riding on a young donkey. If the king is willingly demolishing his own implements of war and violence, then peace has already been achieved. Then sins 
have been, and will continue to be forgiven. Then the exile is finally and ultimately over. For Jesus' ultimate victory over Israel's real enemies will be brought about by the proclamation of peace and the shedding of his own blood, not by wielding implements of war and shedding the blood of your enemies. Friends, the powers, evil powers of this world will never be fully and decisively disarmed by using the weapons of this world. And I I have to throw this in here because it's not that Jesus was uninterested in power. He was very interested in power. But he fundamentally rejected the definition of power that was on loan in the rest of the world. What Jesus did on Good Friday and on Easter is an invitation to each one of us to see, to have our eyes open, our minds understand a different definition of power. Those people were believing in a bad story and they were living out of it. And Jesus wants to save them from that. So what about us? If we find ourselves living in a bad story, that can look different for each one of us. Maybe it is this. Maybe we believe in the world's definition of power and we are all in on that. But maybe it's something different. Maybe it's you believe your value comes from your financial bottom line or the way that you look, the relationships that you have, whether you're a parent or not. All kinds of bad stories can take root. So what do we do? How do once we've recognized that we're living life by a bad story, what do we do then? If we're going to rip it out of the ground like my friend Harry did, and consign it to the burning pile. What should we know? Well, I would say the first thing that we should know is, if you're going to do that, expect resistance. Another one of the invasive species that they had on their property that they're trying to rid themselves of is Russian olive. And Atlee pointed it out to me, you know, after the situation. I was like, oh, how are you going to get that out? He said, we're going to have to get the tractor out for that one. Right? For some of us, the story that we're living in, this bad story, is a story that took us a long path to get into. And it's reasonable to expect that it will take us a long path to get out of. But you know what? Have some grace for yourself, friends. Right? Because what does John say in this passage? He says, the disciples, a.k.a. Jesus' closest followers, they didn't get it. They spent every day with Jesus, and they still couldn't fully take on what he was doing and why he was doing it. So have some grace for yourselves in the midst of it. All right? Expect resistance. Second thing, uh, if you're going to rip a bad story out of the ground, an invasive species out, you need to do what my friends Atlee and Harry did, which is plant things that are good for that environment, that belong there, creating space and allowing them to thrive. In short, when you rip out a bad story, you have to replace it with a better one. The story that John is eager for us to see and embrace is the gospel. It is that God has radically affirmed his commitment to redeeming this world by sending his son Jesus to rescue us. That Jesus is a king, but he's nothing like the petty pretenders who lord their power and authority over others. Rather, Jesus takes the nature of a servant, shedding his blood 
for our redemption, to free us not just from the evil that is out there, but from everything that is sinful and broken and futile in here. And what's more, he offers us the gift of resurrection life. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday, right? Life that is truly life. Life as subjects of the world's true Lord and King. Now that is a good story, right? One of the things that's interesting about the, the uh, kind of honeysuckle that is actually native to the area where my friends are from is that the stems are solid. Whereas with the Japanese honeysuckle, the pretender, the imposter, the stems are hollow. Replace a bad story with a solid one. All right, third thing. You need help. Right? Isn't that, that's freeing to hear, or isn't it? You need help. And I think first and foremost, we need to take John seriously as he talks about the Holy Spirit, which is our helper, our advocate, the one who teaches us to see truth, the one who testifies to the truth, the one who helps us avoid these bad stories that are invasive that can take root in our lives. First and foremost, Holy Spirit. But, you know, here's a, a picture of one of the, the native honeysuckles, right? This is called trumpet honeysuckle. It's good for the ecosystem. It belongs there. It's not invasive. And one of the things that's really interesting about this, as you can see that leaf behind it, is that the leaf, uh, i got to read this so I get it right here. Most native honeysuckles are fused at the stem so that they grow as one leaf. There's community there. Whereas with the imposter, with Japanese honeysuckle, the leaves grow individually with their backs to each other. How about that? Not that that has any application for us, right? Oh, man. Friends, in the same way that I had Atlee and Harriet as wise guides showing me around their property, helping me see what belongs there and what doesn't belong there, helping me recognize what is bad and what is good, we need people to help us do that as well. Awaken, people in this community need you. Do you believe that? And you need people in this community, which is maybe the harder thing to believe. Oh, we're so American, aren't we? Just want to believe we're so self-sufficient, right? But God brought a community like Awaken into existence, not so that you can come in here on a Sunday morning and be entertained, especially not on a Sunday when I'm preaching. Uh, God brought this community into existence because you need other people and they need you. And that's the way that God intended his church to be. So that they could together, fused, walk forward and bring the gospel into the world. So just a couple of questions as I close here. Personally, individually, are you in on the gospel story? Are you all in on the truth that Jesus brought? Or have we allowed ourselves to believe a different story that has nothing to do with Jesus and his kingdom? Do you individually, personally believe the gospel? Second question, is Awaken as a church united in the gospel? Are you fused at the stem? so that you're working together, or do you have your backs to each other? 
And third question, I'd love, it's, it's nice to be able to ask this sort of as an outsider of this congregation. Would the people in this community say that the gospel is good news? Would they? Is Awaken going out into this community and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of Jesus, not just with words, but by their actions, the way that you love people, the places that your feet go? Would people say that the gospel is good news? May we all be teaching this and teaching this to our children so that as they wave these palm branches and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that they mean it the way that Jesus meant it. Please pray with me. Jesus, we need help to believe the gospel. It's so hard. Lord, that, that, that self-sufficiency, the individualism, it, it just, it's such a hard nut to crack. But you want us to, Lord. You want people in this community to open up to one another, to partner together in bringing forward the good news of the lordship of Jesus Christ everywhere that they go. May that be true of us. May we be teaching it to our children. Lord, may we believe that that kingdom, that gospel, is what you're doing to redeem this world. And may we partner with you in that. And so, Lord, as we take a few moments of silence right now, would you help us to consider in what ways we, individually, we as awaken, can bring that kingdom forward in the world, showing your goodness and your greatness. In name we pray. Amen. Friends, believe the gospel. And then go forward into this world as people who believe the gospel, who are partnered with God in making this world the place that God would have it be. Amen? Please stand and receive the benediction. Tim got to do this first hour, but I'm going to do this second hour. Sounds great. And I'm going to bless these people, but I'm going to bless you. Oh, all right. My friend, send you back where you came from <laughs> to do the good work God's called you to do. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends. See ya. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.